Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn on what you want, like trying out that new workout class, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like a foam roller for your sore muscles. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are, with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash active cash. The volume. Looking for a super offer for Super Bowl 58? DraftKings Sportsbook has you covered. New customers can bet on the big game and turn five bucks into 200 instantly in bonus bets. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code JOHN. New customers can bet 5 bucks and get 200 instantly in bonus bets. Only on DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of Super Bowl 58. With code J-O-H-N. John, the crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas. 21 plus, age varies by jurisdiction, void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash football for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. What is going on, everybody? John Middlecoff, 3 and Out Podcast. How are we doing, my people? Here's the game plan. Ben Johnson returning to the Lions. Not going to be a head coach. We'll talk about that. Maybe working for Dan Campbell is pretty fun. Sure seems like it if you're Ben Johnson. Arthur Smith going to the Pittsburgh Steelers as their offensive coordinator. So Tomlin gets a guy that hopefully can save his offense. Nice hire by Tomlin. We'll dive into that. And then just some other stuff around the NFL. Brandon Staley worked for Sean McVay, but he's interviewing again, so we'll dive into that. And uh, we also have Mailbag. So at John Middlecoff is the Instagram. At John Middlecoff is the Instagram. Fire in those DMs. I'll do like 15, 20 minutes a day, and then we'll probably do a big one on Friday. So at John Middlecoff, fire in those DMs. Get your question answered on the show. What else do we got? We got, if you're listening on Collins' feed, make sure you subscribe to 3 and Out. If you... 
like the YouTube channel or like watching videos, we got a YouTube channel. All of our stuff's up there and thevolume.com. We got t-shirts, we got hats, flex fit trucker hats. Go get yourself one. But first, can I tell you about my friends, my partners, and just an app that I use all the time? Where's my smartphone? Right here. Here's what I need you to do. I need you to grab your smartphone, grab your iPad, and go to your app store. And find this app called Game Time. They are the official ticketing app of this podcast. Uh, I have this event going on right down the street from my house. Door to door, it's about five minutes. I'm actually playing there tomorrow. It's called Waste Management. They call it one of the greatest parties in America. And if you're coming to this area, if you want to come, you want to do something next weekend, you're not going to make the Super Bowl, uh, ticket price, the average ticket price is 10 grand. You want to go to Waste Management. You want to go to any event like that. They got you covered. What you do is you download the Game Time app. You just type in the event. You type in where you live, the venue, and you just see what's happening around your neck of the woods. And when you go, God, I want to go to that game, or I want to go to that concert, or I want to go to that event, you buy a pair of tickets. And when you do, you type in J-O-H-N. J-O-H-N. That's my name, John. And you get $20 off. So I'm saving you $20. I don't need a thank you. I don't need a hug. I don't even need a fist pound. You don't even need to shoot me a DM, even though I enjoy it when you do. Just use the promo code John when you buy your first pair of tickets on the Game Time app. And yeah, we swear by them. Ben Johnson returns to the Detroit Lions. I had heard last year that Ben Johnson, when he had interviewed with the Carolina Panthers and ultimately turned down David Tepper, it wasn't as much what many on the outside thought of David Tepper's a madman, he didn't want to work for them. One thing I was told by someone in the NFL was that Ben Johnson wasn't quite sure of himself as a head coach. Almost like he didn't feel ready. This is not a 50-year-old guy. At the time, he was 36 years old and felt like he needed a little more seasoning. Remember, not everyone in their mid to late 30s is Kyle Shanahan, who'd been trained to be a head coach for 15 years and been an offensive coordinator for 10. Or Mike Tomlin, who has bravado and cockiness and balls just the size of watermelons, right? Some guys aren't as sure of themselves at certain ages. And I don't think it's that crazy for just on the surface for a guy 36, 37 to go, you know, I don't feel that quite ready. And the news of Ben Johnson returning and Adam Schefter put out that one thing that intimidated owners that I wouldn't even say turn them off, but was a point of contention for dealing with Ben Johnson was the price that he wanted and reports from like a month ago that ultimately his agent pushed back on, which is the same guy that represents Mike McDaniel, LaFleur, Kyle McVay, that the report was he wanted $15 million a year. Well, think about it this way. If you're 36, 37 years old and you know you got a bright future ahead and you love working somewhere, you love it, and money's not an issue. Ben Johnson is making... Two and a half, three, four million dollars. So he is rich. Now, not head coach rich, but he's rich. He doesn't have to worry about buying homes, buying cars, you know, going on vacation. He has enough disposable income that he is easily in the top 1% of the top, you know, he's probably in the top 5, 10% of the top 1%. Like he makes a lot of money, especially for W 2 employees, right? There ain't many W 2 employees making seven figures. He's one of them. And you get to the spot where you go, wait, I really like what I'm doing. 
I feel very comfortable of the future in what I'm doing. And I'm not quite confident enough in myself to do what these people want me to do. So you throw out a number of like, well, ultimately I would do it if you paid me five years, $75 million, because there comes a point for all of us that it doesn't make sense not to do it. If you love your job, let's put it in normal people numbers, right? Obviously the average American salary is like 60 grand. Let's say you're doing pretty well right now. You're 38 years old and you're making $200,000. You love where you work. You respect who you work for. You think there's upside with the company to make more money. Maybe your bonus structure, you're going to do pretty well financially. But this other company is sniffing around you and they want to promote you and give you a bigger position. Well, it gets very difficult if they offered you $3 million, right? You would owe it to your family. You would owe it to everyone. They named you the CEO of their company. But if they're offering you seven, dollars $800,000 and you have belief in yourself that money's not going to be an issue moving forward, not necessarily the salary you make, but just your ability to make more money, this money is not going to change the course of your life, right? Because you're already doing pretty well and your wife has a good job. It's easy to say no. And you can throw out a number that, hey, listen, you're offering me 700 grand. I make 250 right now. $3 million, I'm taking the job. But for 750 grand, I ain't doing it. <laughs> you know, I, I think it's actually very relatable, right? Now, obviously, it, he could make $10 million as a head coach. is a lot more than $3 million. But he knows he's going to be able to be a head coach next year. That's part of it. Think how many players in free agency that are a part of good teams, 49ers, the Chiefs, the, the Ravens, like part of really good teams, good organizations, who become a free agent, don't want to leave. They would love to stay. But in football, unlike coaching or unlike podcasting or unlike car salesmen or insurance salesmen, you're not able to do it in your 50s, in your 60s. Like, it's kind of finite. For most guys, it ends in their early 30s. So if I'm making $3 million for the Eagles or the Ravens and the Carolina Panthers offer me $8 million or $7 million, I have no choice. I have to take it. Even though I love playing for the Eagles, I know we're going to be good. I got to go to the Carolina Panthers. I have absolutely no choice. Mike McGlinchey last year with the San Francisco 49ers would have loved to stay with the San Francisco 49ers. He did not want to leave. The 49ers were never going to pay him. And then all of a sudden Denver goes, here's $50 million. He has no choice. He has to take the money. So with coaching, your career, Ben Johnson's 37 years old. Belichick and Saban were coaching into their early 70s. So it's like, hypothetically, he could have 35 years left of coaching. And let's face it, people now in their late 30s, I fall under that category, we're way more healthy and approach life a lot different than the older generation. So Ben Johnson, which I think it is clear to say, because in the history of the league, most guys, it's a very ambitious industry, players and coaches, that jump at opportunities. And it's not always simply because of money in 2024. All these guys are rich. All these Ben Johnson is a multimillionaire at this point. But maybe deep down he goes, I don't feel quite ready. I can keep sharpening my sword. And I view it as a very calculated risk because nothing's guaranteed. But I think it's safe to say worst case for the Lions next year, like their floor feels like nine wins. It would be stunning given their roster, given their youth. It would take some crazy injuries for them not to be a double-digit win team. 
So Ben goes, I can keep working on the things that I need to work on, keep honing my craft, and ultimately get to a position when I do accept the job. I think a lot of people go, God, this is starting to get weird. Is it really getting that weird? I mean, like four years ago, the guy was a quality control coach, a tight end coach. His, his stardom has been like a rocket ship. He has gone within a three-year span to someone no one talked about in his early 30s to being like the number one head coaching candidate. And rightfully so, because as an offensive play caller, it's not debatable. He's the best offensive coordinator who is not a head coach. Right? Andy, McVay, Kyle, LaFleur, those guys are head coaches and play callers. Go around the league to non-head coaches. I, I don't even think they're I don't even know who's number two. There's a wide gap. He would be the number one guy every team would hire if they, they had a head coach who was a defensive head coach or a CEO head coach to be their offensive coordinator. It'd be Ben Johnson. Because watching him against the 49ers, watching him all playoffs, watching him all season, watching him the last two years, he's a fucking badass play caller. He's everything you want in that position. But clearly for him, as a guy, which I commend this, is kind of knowing when you're not ready. Think how many young coaches, college and pro, jump at opportunities and get washed out and never get that opportunity again. Who truly aren't ready. But their ambition... You know, maybe clouds their judgment, clouds their understanding of going, yeah, I could use a little more time. I could use, ask the guy I'm working for to give me a little more on my plate. Now, I also understand a lot of people, specifically men, because that's what there are in this industry, take these jobs as much for money. It's obviously a lot, but they want to be the boss. They don't want to make suggestions anymore. They want to make decisions. There's a long rectangular table in all these meeting rooms all around the league and all over college football. They're long. They fit, I don't even know how many people. Let's say 25, 30 people. You sit at the front and everyone looks at you. Even when you're these highly paid offensive and defensive coordinators, you sit on the sides. So there is something to being a decision maker. A guy that knows how to pull the trigger. But when you look at Jim Harbaugh, who just accepted the head coach of the Chargers, do you know where he learned to hone his skill? At the University of San Diego, which I don't even know how many scholarships they have, but it's not 85. And then he went to Stanford. It was a running joke. So he got to sharpen his sword before he even got to the 49ers with about eight years of experience at levels, especially the first four or five, no one was even paying attention to. And I'm a huge believer in this. There is nothing like experience. You can't overcome that. And in football, now with the money on the line, if you are not ready, and just because you're a good play caller, once you become the head coach, when your starting linebacker gets a DUI, when your defensive coordinator's wife gets sick and he has to go on a leave of absence, when your general manager's in a bad mood and you're fighting with him, when your owner is all over your ass about some highly paid guy who's not playing well, you have to deal with that. When you're the offensive coordinator, you do not. Those phone calls don't come to you. They go to the head guys, the GM and the head coach. The offensive coordinator, if you can get to a spot like Ben Johnson or some of these great defensive coordinators, they pay you three, four million dollars. And your only responsibility, literally, is to coach football professionally. It's the only thing you have to worry about on a daily basis. Your family and football. As the head coach, you are dealing with so much administrative stuff that is not football. 
Even Ron Rivera said it like the last five weeks when he became the defensive coordinator, even though it was pretty ugly. It was kind of uh, refreshing to just get back to ball. And that's what you get to do nonstop when you're a coordinator. When you're the head coach, you deal with everything. Scouts, GM, ticket people, owner, coordinators, players, players' issues, players' families, trainers, equipment people. You know, it's all on your plate. And I don't know Ben Johnson, never met the guy. But I think it's pretty clear he believes he's not ready, and most guys do not have the balls to turn these jobs down. They jump at them. And then they're right back sitting in that seat three years later. And I do wonder if one of the reasons he feels very comfortable, there was, I watched some of Dan Campbell's press conference, we talked about this yesterday, but there was part of it that I didn't hear, it was at the end. He's not wrong when he talked about when he's kicking field goals, that's what we do. That's very authentic. That is true. That's what they do. I disagree with it, but he's been doing it all season, so they continue to do it now. Time and the place, we can argue till we're blue in the face, but I understand why he does that because that's what he does. But he said something toward the end of the game when they had to call the timeout when they were down 10 points and they're trying to you know score really fast, either kick an onside kick or kick it deep, and they have three timeouts, which... As a CEO head coach, your job is to manage the game. So having three timeouts under two minutes is a good thing. Hell, I I watched Sean McVay like three or four times this year get to the end of the game. He's got one timeout. Dan Campbell has all his timeouts. And Dan said that I said over the headset, I told Ben Johnson. He didn't say it exactly like this, but it was, he said, I said, run the ball. And because I thought that we would walk right in the end zone. And essentially I gambled and I failed. And I thought to myself, how many coaches in the NFL would admit that to the media, which is to us, the public? Listen, I think Kyle Shanahan is a big-time head coach. Not in a million years would Kyle Shanahan have said, I gambled and I lost. I screwed up. He never says that. (laughs) He refused to ever say that he regretted or it was a mistake to make the play call that cost Purdy his right elbow. Which was, if you would obviously say, I wish I could have called another play in hindsight, but he's not going to say that. It's just not the way he's wired. Belichick, these guys aren't wired to do that. There is an authenticity to Dan Campbell that really resonates with me. I I said yesterday, and I've been saying for my entire career of talking for a living, I I I just have nothing in common with like people that are very political. And I don't mean in politics. I just mean that's the kind of the way, like always networking, always doing that. There's a fraudulent aspect for me, and maybe that's something I struggle with. I, I could be a better quote-unquote networker or whatever, but I just think there are so many phonies and fakes out there. And even in, even in football, it's not always the head coach, assistants too. There are just so many frauds. And I do think that Dan Campbell is a very authentic person, and clearly he's good to work for. Because Ben Johnson now has had multiple opportunities to leave and go somewhere else, strike where the iron's hot, and he stayed loyal to this guy. So, for as shitty as that was the other night, and listen, if you're a Detroit Lions fan, it was bad. That's a rough loss. (laughs) It just, I don't know, cost you a Super Bowl appearance. Today was a pretty good day uh, to get to retain Ben Johnson. And, you know, I would say, you know, I I think it's fair to say the 49ers are going to be, you know, the favorite to win the NFC again next year. You could put the the Detroit Lions at number two. You really could. And I, I think if they're not number two, that's pretty good value because they got... They got a young ascending squad with a really, really good coaching staff. When you're a defensive head coach or a CEO head coach, 
that's not an offensive guy, your offensive coordinator is so vital to you because, like, think about Mike Tomlin, right? Defensive guy, CEO, head coach, great motivator. But, like, he's not coaching footwork with the quarterback. He's not coaching reads with the quarterback. That's just not what he's going to Neither is John Harbaugh, neither are any of those type guys. Neither is Pete Carroll. They don't have the capability of doing that. As crazy as that sounds, I know a lot of people are like, what do you mean they don't understand? They just don't. I don't know any other way to say it is like they're not coaching the quarterback. One, there is a small percentage of human beings that are good at coaching the quarterback, clearly. And the defensive guys, they just fundamentally view football differently than those guys. So whoever your offensive coordinator is, you are very dependent on that guy. And I think most offensive coordinators in Division I football in the NFL could all just talk about football, right, on a very similar level. What to do against this coverage, what to do against that coverage, what routes they like with certain quarterbacks, what concepts they like in their offense. Like, I, I think the difference between Matt Canada and Kyle Shanahan, if you were just talking football at a desk with both, I don't know if you'd notice that big of a difference. I could be wrong. But there is an instinct of putting together a game plan and then calling plays on game day. And clearly, some guys have it, and some guys do not. No different than a player. Like, there are a lot of players with physical attributes that are like, why isn't this guy better? Because he's just not an instinctive quarterback, or an instinctive wide receiver, or an instinctive linebacker. Like, you just you either can play or you can't. It sometimes it just boils down to the simplicity of that. You either can call plays or you can't. Just because you know offense or defense doesn't mean you're going to be good at play calling. And Matt Canada is a good example. He just did not have a good rhythm as a play caller. He was mostly god-awful. And Arthur Smith, when he was an OC, was really, really good. Especially with a good running game and a physical team and a defensive head coach. So he knew how to fit into a culture with a head coach that's going to want to lean playing physical ball and running it. And he thrived. And the Titans had their best two years with him as their offensive coordinator. And the best part about hiring Arthur Smith, if you're Mike Tomlin and the Pittsburgh Steelers, let's say this year your offense is top five. And you're awesome. I don't know who your quarterback would be. But let's just say you have an awesome offense this year. No one's hiring him to be your head coach next year. Nobody. Arthur Smith is unhirable at minimum for two years. I think you'd have to like win the Super Bowl and then you'd have to have the best offense in the league the following year. Anytime I can get a coach that I don't have to worry about becoming a head coach, that is a huge, huge benefit to me as an organization. When I hire Vic Fangio, I know no one's going to hire that guy to be their head coach anymore. I said this about Spags. You could argue when you factor in how good his defense is, he's the most valuable defensive coordinator in the league because no one's ever going to lose him. That's the thing with Ben Johnson and Mike McDonald and all these hot coordinators. Everyone's always going to want to hire them as their head coach. Why Arthur Smith once upon a time got hired to be the Atlanta Falcons head coach. Well, now he's on to be a head coach. He was terrible, awful. It was really ugly. And his play calling was no longer as good because some guys are meant to be number twos. Nothing wrong with that in the NFL. It's Wall Street on grass, millions of dollars. So to me, Arthur Smith makes a ton of sense with the Pittsburgh Steelers. Now, to me, the biggest question mark moving forward is what the hell they're going to do at quarterback. You cannot just run it back with Kenny Pickett. I'm sorry, you cannot. I'm not saying you get rid of him, but like, do you trade for Justin Fields? Do you do something? 
because I can't just go into next season with Kenny Pickett as my quarterback. And they've even admitted as such. And I know Kenny Pickett was, you know, all up in arms about not them not going back to him at the end of the season when he was healthy. I'm sorry, Kenny. We're riding the hot hand. You're not exactly Ben Roethlisberger here. We're just because you're healthy again, you go back in the game when we're winning games. Not how it works. <laughs> you haven't earned it. That's not the way football works. No one cares that you were the 20th pick. So if I was a betting man right now, one, I would say Kenny Pickett's job is in major jeopardy. And two, like uh, I think they are going to bring in competition and a guy to compete with them in training camp. Ryan Tannehill would be a guy to keep an eye on, trading for Justin Fields. But there will be another quote-unquote bigger-name quarterback on the Pittsburgh Steelers. And listen, Mike Tomlin's going to stay, and he's going to continue to be the head coach in Pittsburgh. He had to get a good offensive coordinator. And based on what we saw in Tennessee with Arthur Smith, this is this is a home run hire. I'm sorry, but if I've had you as my defensive coordinator, like let's say next year Robert Sala gets fired from the Jets, and Steve Wilkes either gets fired or gets a head coaching job, and the 49ers need a defensive coordinator. Kyle Shanahan would not have to interview Robert Sala. He would just rehire Robert Sala. Right? Like when Josh McDaniels came back to the Patriots after Denver and St. Louis, Belichick didn't re interview him. He just hired him. Right? So when I saw that Brandon Staley is interviewing with the Rams, that's fucking weird. I, I, I'm sorry. Now, if it was a call like, hey, man, how you doing? We're interested in having you. Would you be interested in coming back? Like, you know, just talk about like what happened with the Chargers, all that stuff. Totally understand if that, you want to consider that an interview. But if like we're sitting down and re-talking defense, that's a pretty big red flag on Brandon Staley. They literally work together. They coach together for a year. Now, I understand it was 2020 in crazy California, so they probably weren't together in person as much as, obviously as much as normal. But still, I, I'm sorry. If you need to re-interview a guy for a position who'd already held that position for you and had success, I probably don't want that individual back on the staff. And this is not trying to kick Brandon Staley when he was down. I really don't care. I told you Packer fans, like, keep an eye on him for your job. <clears throat> but I understand LaFleur interviewing Brandon Staley. He's never worked for Matt LaFleur. He worked for Sean McVay. Like, if D'Amico or Sala were available, you don't need to interview him. Like, I, I'm sorry, I would imagine, did Andy Reid interview Steve Spagnola? <laughs> if anything, it was like, hey, Steve, how you doing? Do you want this job? We want you to coach here. Shouldn't you know the guy? Very bizarre. Uh, <clears throat> what else is going on? I saw Albert Breer tell Rich Eisen that one big reason that Vrabel and Belichick, now Belichick, because he wants to be the GM and the head coach that Atlanta pulled back, like they, they would have loved to just have him as the head coach, but it's hard to just have Belichick as the head coach because he also wants a huge role in picking the players. But one thing with both those guys is everyone's on eggshells in the building. And Albert was kind of laughing. He was like, one thing that these owners really just want is for everyone to kind of get along and everyone to be friendly. And I thought like, that's insane. Like, this is football. Ideally, if you're a head coach, I would expect you to be cordial to an owner. But if I owned a team and my general man or my head coach was good and he was winning, I don't really think I'd care that much how big of an asshole he was. I understand that th this is not 
high school sports here. A lot of money's on the line. The more we win, the more I financially benefit. And I think anyone hiring people because they look at them like friendly or it's going to be easy to work with is taking the wrong tactic in the sport of football. It should be an uncomfortable environment. People should be on their toes. I'm sorry, not everyone needs to be miserable 24-7, but I think you better be very careful about worrying about that because I think Mike Vrabel's a really good head coach. And I'm sorry he's not Mr. Happy-Go-Lucky, smiley guy all the time. I, I just can't imagine owning a team and having that bother me that much. Now, maybe it's because I saw firsthand Jim Harbaugh with the 49ers made people uncomfortable. But all he was doing was winning. And then when they fired him, they wanted someone who was just positive and would listen. And that's a huge reason. You, the owner wants someone that's going to listen to them. And they hired Jim Tom Sula. And the building borderline burnt to the ground. So when you're so worried about everyone's feelings, you're usually consumed with the wrong thing in this profession. So I, I don't disagree with him because I think he's right. Because if, if Mike Vrabel had a rep of like, oh, gets along with everyone, everyone likes him, he would have been hired immediately. I even, I mean, listen, I, he's not going to ask me, but I'd tell Adam Peters, you're crazy if, if you're not talking to Mike Vrabel. I, I think like, I would be all over. If I, was Dan, if I was John Schneider in Seattle, he'd be my hire. But maybe he just, they're scared of he won't listen to him, which is understandable. But if I'm the owner, like, get me the best coach and then figure it out from there. Uh, other than that, there's a lot of random guys interviewing and taking offensive and defensive coordinator jobs. And I, it just got me thinking today, like I saw Jeff Idzik's kid is going to Panthers to be the offensive coordinator. And a bunch of guys just bounce around. In two years, half these guys are all going to get run out of town. Like you really have two options the moment you become an offensive coordinator. You either are going to be a future head coaching candidate and people are going to be interviewing you to be a head coach in two or three years or you're getting run out of town, and it's going to be ugly. There is no middle ground as an offensive coordinator. Defensive coordinator, guys can stay a little longer, right? If they're a little older or not interviewing, whatever. But as an offensive coordinator, there's two options. Within 24 months, you either are going to have a lot of positive buzz about you, or they're driving your ass to the airport. You are either doing Zoom initial interviews with owners and GMs, or you are fired. And I remember an offensive coordinator told me this years ago. He said, when you get the opportunity to be an OC as a position coach, you are obligated to take the job. Because I remember asking him, like, why would you want this job? Why wouldn't you just go be you know, a quarterback coach somewhere? And he's like, because once you're in the cycle, you're just in it. And financially, you go from you know, five, six hundred grand to two million dollars. And then you're just viewed as an offensive coordinator at minimum for a couple jobs, even if you get run out of town after the first one. So it changes the course of your career. You can get pigeonholed as a position coach and never get a shot. That's why once you become a defensive or offensive coordinator, even if it goes poorly, you typically get a second chance. And then if it goes well, you become a head coach. You are so close to just doing what a lot of these guys' dreams are, beside Ben Johnson, being a head coach as quickly as possible. So it's just something to keep an eye on, all the, uh, all the coaches flying around and interviewing and hired left and right. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. 
Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape. You can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game-changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So, listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. Okay, let's dive into a little thing we call the mailbag. The mailbag is simple. It's my name, at John Middlecoff, two Fs, and I have an Instagram account. Fire in those DMs. I will attempt to find your DMs with a million other young males, and we will uh, answer your question here on the show. Very easy. At John Middlecoff, fire in the DMs. Niners fan. I'm a new subscriber to your channel. I have a question. What is the reason... For the 49ers struggling against the run in the postseason. I think this one's pretty easy. Is right now the 49ers have some defensive linemen who are not good against the run. Chase Young is their starting defensive end. Not a very good player. Javon Hargrave is not a run stopper. Not really his deal. And even Eric Armstead is getting up there in age. He's been banged up throughout the year. I wouldn't exactly call him uh, Gilbert Brown in his prime. So you have some defensive linemen who are constantly getting blocked. That means if they're getting blocked, you can get offensive linemen up to the second level. While Fred and Drake Greenlaw are very good players, if you get a body on them, I I wouldn't consider them Dick Butkus. They're not stacking shedding guys. They have to run by guys. And right now it feels like a lot of their guys are getting blocked. A lot of their guys. And the other thing is on what Ben Johnson did an unreal job of, and he just kept going over and over, their angles right now in pursuit are fucking hideous. Defensive football in the open field at the NFL level and in college football, because of the athletes you're playing, is all about angles. And the best players, 
the best defensive players. Like Fred Warner in the open field is a great tackler because he takes great angles. Well, the Niners' safeties right now, the angles they're taking, and, and maybe it's like, how do you prepare for playing Gibbs on the Lions? It's hard. It's hard. Your, your scout team running back is not giving you the same look. But his speed was on a different level. I think the one bright spot would be Aaron Jones and Gibbs and Montgomery. That That's beside Christian McCaffrey and like Alvin Kamara and a healthy Nick Chubb. I mean, the, you're talking about the best running games in the league. Isaiah Pacheco is a good player. I wouldn't put him on those guys' level. So hopefully, they're, if you're a Niner fan, their run game is just not as good as these other teams. It's, it's not as explosive. But God, it's been ugly. I hear you. Question I'd love for you to answer on the pod. Why would a guy like Ben Johnson turn down a head coaching gig? Loves the skill guys too much in Detroit? Well, we talked about it on the podcast earlier uh, on a different video. And if you're listening on the podcast uh, earlier in the pod, I, I really think it's simple. When you like where you work and money is good, you are more likely to say no. The best business advice I've ever gotten is the most powerful thing you could ever say to someone in business a potential guy who's trying to hire you, a partner, whatever, contract negotiation? No. I'm not interested. I'm good. <laughs> Who do people usually want? What they can't have. And I, I don't think he's doing it because he's like, you know, he's like a girl or a guy turning you down, trying to get you to chase. I think it's simply he doesn't feel he's ready. He's 37 years old. He's making three or four million dollars, and he has a loaded roster, and he likes working for the head coach. I think too often in life we worry about, and listen, any ambitious person listening to this, it's a hard balance to have. But like sometimes when you got it good and you're young, you get a lot of life ahead. And looking at Ben Johnson, skinny guy, former quarterback, I bet the guy's gonna live till he's 85, 90 years old. Probably could be coached till his 70s. It's like if he doesn't like the opportunities. What if he doesn't like the quarterbacks in this draft? So he's like, I'm not that interested in Washington. You look at Seattle, you're like, well, who's going to play quarterback? Fellow bald brother, my guy Alex. With the Bills' aging roster and Josh Allen's massive contract, what are your thoughts on Buffalo trading away older players to retool? They obviously have missed their window with the Diggs-Josh combo. Potential trades could include the often injured Trey White and Milano tandem. Could we get some mid-round picks for Poyer and Hyde? I don't think so. I love those guys, but they are often injured and close to out the door anyway. I don't think we could get a ham sandwich for Vaughn Miller, but options there as well. Is Diggs worse, or still worth a first-round pick? He's not. N- not at this age. Not with the tread on his tires. Here's the problem. If they're healthy, Milano and Trey Diggs are, or Trey White are really good players. Did White tear his Achilles or tear his ACL? One of them tore their Achilles right and one of them tore their ACL. So even if you are a really good player, when you have season-ending injury, your value on the open market is awful. right? If if your value, let's just play one out of 100. If you're like an 85-90 player, like 90 out of 100, like you're a high-end Pro Bowl type guy, if, if you tear your ACL, like what's your value in March? 70? It's so you're you're selling these guys in a weird way. You're almost better on bringing them back, reworking their contract, pushing their money back, and hoping they can still be good because you get nothing for them. 
So I, you guys are in a tough spot. You, you really are. With Ben Johnson returning to the Lions, I saw the commander's head coaching vacancy is now between three defensive coordinators. I think it's the Lions. It's Aaron Glenn, Mike McDonald. I don't know who the third is. I think the other guy you're talking about, Weaver, is the DB coach. With such a high pick in this draft and new quarterback likely at the helm, do you agree with their decision to stray away from an offensive-minded head coach that could be there developing a new quarterback? Who are their options would be my question. Like if Ben Johnson's, if they wanted him and he won't take the job, what are they supposed to do? Like if this was college football, you'd be like, Offer Sean McVay $200 million, right? Hey, Kyle, come back. We'll offer you $175 million. <laughs> you would just, you would do something like that. But this isn't, you can't do that. So the best coaches available are the coordinators. I personally, what I would have done, I would have hired Mike Vrabel and brought Arthur Smith and drafted the guy number two overall. That, that's what I would do. Mike McDonald clearly is a really good coach. I'd be really interested, but... I think I saw Benjamin Albright, who covers the, the Broncos and knows the league. He he X-channeled this out, formerly known as old, the old tweet machine, that a big thing in these interviews, if you're a defensive coach, is not asking you who do you want as your offensive coordinator. You have to have a contingent offensive coordinator for when that guy gets hired away. So if you say, if I'm Mike Vrabel and I'm interviewing and I say, Arthur Smith is going to be my offensive coordinator. Then I would ask, well, in two years, if we have a lot of success and he gets hired, who are you replacing him with? And if you don't have a good answer, it's like a demerit or a negative on your interview. It's like, that's a problem. Honestly, I don't. I think it's smart. Like, you bet, you better have some options, which is such bullshit because so much can change in two years. Who the hell knows? But I, I do think that's a lot would be predicated on who's going to be the coordinator. And if the coordinator, if you draft Drake May, and in two years Drake May is like a pro bowler, that guy's going to become a head coach. Question from the pod, wife's account. As a frustrated Ravens fan, knowing the potential this team had this year, is there any explanation for why the Ravens would abandon the run game? There were many points in the game up until the fourth quarter where the Ravens could have afforded to have a long drive and ate the clock. You almost can't even say that running didn't work since they barely ran the ball. Do you think the Ravens coaching staff thought they needed Lamar to play like Mahomes to beat him? I think that would just be so naive to think that. Especially last week when Josh Allen, I I forget the exact number, but he ran for over 70 yards. He had so many runs at 7 to 10 yards. And to not run Lamar, who is faster than Josh, outside the tackles, I'd be lying if I wasn't bitter because I put a lot of money on Lamar Jackson over uh, like 80 yards. I basically parlayed them winning and him over 80 yards. And early in the game, when they ran that fourth and one play, <clears throat> and he got like 18, 20 yards. I'm like, God, he's going to do this with ease. And then they just tried to throw him like he's John Elway or Dan Marino. Part of being a coach is doing whatever, you, especially in a playoff game. Do You know, it's one thing in the regular season that, hey, we might have to lose this game, but in the big picture we'll find out something about the guy. You're, there's no evaluation going on. If you ran Lamar every single play, that's what you have to do to win the game. That's what you do. A playoff game is a kitchen sink game. 
for as bad as it was, like the Lamar situation, even worse on Todd Munkin. It's one of those you can't you can't shake. To not give your star quarterback who can run, who is the one of the greatest runners, if not the greatest running quarterback of all time, the ball constantly. I would have ran quarterback power like once a every three downs. I mean, we we're running quarterback sweep slash power, however you wanna, however you describe it. I'm pulling guards and tackles, leading the way, lead blocker. What was he doing? For the mailbag, do you think there are any relatively well-known NFL players that should, could revive their career by playing in the UFL? I think the most obvious example is Trey Lance. Well, Trey Lance makes like $7 million playing in the NFL. So it'd be pretty big risk to leave the Cowboys, go play in the Rocks League for a couple hundred grand. If you suck, you're screwed. So I don't think... He's a bad example. I think it has to be a guy like out of the league. You know, like a quarterback. I'm trying to think. I, You know, my brain's not working. I was going to say Deshaun Kaiser, but even that's a bad example. You know, like a guy, like a fringe quarterback. Like if Carson Wentz hadn't got the Rams job, Carson Wentz 100% should have gone. He's not working anyway. If you're on a team's roster, it doesn't make sense to go to the UFL or XFL or whatever the hell it's called. Carson Wentz, it, it, he's he's going into his fourth year. He's drafted third overall. Like he he's got a lot of money coming to him. And again, if he's not an accurate player, it it just wouldn't go very well. Although I probably already know the answer, what are your thoughts on Adam Silver's extension until 2030 as an NBA commissioner? I got so many people asking me about this. In the NBA, NFL, or Major League Baseball. Those leagues don't operate like a Fortune 500 company in the sense of they would hire someone outside the family. Because, I guess in the realest way to say it, there's a lot of shady shit going on. And these sports leagues, the amount of money that's on the line, you can't afford to hire some dude like Jamie Dimon's number two and then bring him in and have it not work out and then him start spilling the beans. I'm not saying like illegal activity, but there is a reason that all these leagues, Rob Manfred worked in the league. Roger Goodell worked in the league. Adam Silver was David Stern's number two. Like if, if Adam Silver left, they would just hire someone else from the NBA. So yeah, the NBA, I don't think, I don't think Adam Silver's any good, but I'm not surprised at all they are keeping him around. You don't have any other options. I think, I think it's really that simple. And they're tech, I mean, they're still making money. It's not like the thing is going bankrupt. Uh, hi, John. I'm Marco, and I'm in Monterey, Mexico. Big fan of your podcast and a diehard Niner fan. I was listening to you talk about how much the NFL is growing in popularity, and I think you didn't consider the insane amount of fans the NFL has in Mexico and other countries. A lot of people in the U.S. don't really understand, but the Niner, Cowboy, and Steeler fan bases down here is just so incredibly, it's actually is so incredible. It's actually crazy. Niners are probably one of the most important things in my life. LOL. And I know just so many people that feel the way about their teams. It's a good point. I did not, I did not think about that. I do. I don't think when the TV ratings when they factor in, you know, fifty-seven million people, they don't factor in international. 
it's a big problem, like with the ratings in, uh, like when tr- the Toronto Raptors were in the NBA Finals. So, like that that rating part of the popularity. I, I hear what you're saying, and I'm not disagreeing. But like, if a lot of people are watching the Super Bowl in Germany or Mexico or wherever, it doesn't, I mean, factor in to at least the number I was talking about yesterday. But I hear you, and that's why I think they keep going these international games. Niners have played in Mexico. Chiefs played in Mexico. Steelers, I don't think they played in Mexico, but they played in Europe. I'm a religious listener. How I start every morning. Thank you. I see that Ben is staying in Detroit. Do you think Brad Holmes will decide next year to make him the head coach if Dan doesn't take the next step? I don't know, man. I, I think Dan Campbell's doing a pretty good job. Uh, I, I, I think when you watch Dan Campbell press conferences, and I've said this all along, he gets this, you know... I, I would say he gets pigeonholed as this like tough guy meathead. When you watch him talk, he's he's a pretty smooth cat. Like I, I think Dan Campbell's pretty smart. I, I think the perception of Dan from the casual fan, kind of meatheady, is a little different than the actual guy. I think he has meathead qualities. I mean, he's 6'4", 250, you know, listen to Metallica, slams, double ventes. Like, again, I, I'm not acting like he's not a football guy. But I think he's a little more, I think it's intellectually dishonest the way the media kind of portrays him. But I would say there's some pressure on him for sure. I don't think they would necessarily do that. I mean, he just was the head coach of a team, but we've seen enough teams. Like, do you think the Eagles regret not firing Sirianni last year and just making Shane Sykin the head coach? You think it crossed their mind? Like this year, should we have done that? How could it not? I watch all different types of football podcasts uh, and shows, and yours is my favorite. Thank you, Liam. Quick question for the Seahawks. Got a weird offseason ahead with salary cap, and my biggest question is with our roster and the amount of talent I do feel we are just a piece or two away, what the hell do we do at quarterback? Well, the only way to truly upgrade a quarterback at this point in time, because you can't sign a free agent because Geno makes some money, like you're not going to sign Kirk Cousins, is going to be trade up in the draft and kind of hope you strike oil. And really, if you trade up in the draft, can you just get like, can you get your Kirk Cousins or Dak Prescott or even your Brock Purdy in the third or fourth round or maybe even in the first round? Can you just get a guy who can immediately play? Because your offensive line solid, Kenneth Walker's a stud, and your wide receivers are good. Your defense needs some fixing. But, you know, we'll see who the next head coach is. Which, your search has been a little bizarre. I'm not going to lie. I feel like you. Got, I have no clue. No clue what's happening. Could they be hiring someone from the Chiefs? Doesn't feel like it. And they haven't interviewed. They haven't interviewed anyone in the Niners. Like, what's what's the holdup here? It's been a very, very bizarre search. Uh, as someone to just, I watch a lot of NFC West football. I obviously just followed that division, those teams really closely. I don't know. I, I have a I have a hard time gauging what the hell's happening. I I really do. My guess would be though, your quarterback next year. I bet Geno starts the year as the quarterback, and I I would be. I bet with your first couple picks, you take a quarterback. If I was a betting man, I'd say the second round, but I would definitely say trading up in the draft and drafting guy in the first round is on the table. You know, maybe trading a first-round pick next year and going from, I don't know what pick, let's just pick a number. You might have 17, 18, going from like 18, 19 to 9. I could see you doing something. Remember the Bears did that a couple years ago. They went from 20 to 11, and they got Justin Fields. I I think that's kind of what I could see you guys doing this upcoming year. The volume. 
I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at first, first listen. listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see what music does to people, it gives me a lot of hope. If you liked Locatora before, you're going to love Season 9. Subscribe to our show and you'll see why Locatora is your prima's favorite podcast. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Carol G. Juan Gabriel. Christina Aguilera. What do these three have in common? You mean apart from impeccable style, chart-topping canciones, and drama? Facts, yes, all of the above are correct. But most importantly, they're some of the biggest Latin icons in the world. And they're just a few of the game-changing Latin stars we're covering in Becoming an Icon Season 2. Listen to Becoming an Icon on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.